Welcome to the Sports Memory Podcast. This is Derek Black. And Marcus Anthony. And Newman. So we're going to jump right in, uh, do a quick little recap on the NFL, um, kind of tie off the season for a little bit until the draft talks heat up in probably another uh, few weeks here. Um, but t- finish up about the, with the, uh, the Super Bowl, obviously, talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame selections, and then start transitioning to some of the topics we're going to talk about more during the offseason here. So let's go ahead and, and, and start off with the Super Bowl recap. What, what do you guys think about the game? Um, it was one of the more fun ones to watch. Um, you know, you felt the momentum shift for both teams. Like, you actually could feel it. Um, you know, and there for the uh, for the Chiefs, it was uh, on that th- third and long to uh, Tyreek Hill. It, um, man, it was, watching Mahomes is a thing of beauty in clutch time. Yeah. Yeah, so I really enjoyed the way that uh, San Francisco came out in that game. They absolutely were like, hey, like, we're here to play, trying to be recognized and stuff. Um Debo Samuel had a great start to the game, yeah. and I love the way that they integrated him into that offense. Uh, they didn't force the ball down their throats in terms of running it quite as much as I expected them to, and that may have come back to bite them at the end. So what do you guys make of, of Kyle Shanahan here? Um, so obviously he's been uh, a part or an integral part of, of two of the three worst losses when it comes to, to NFL and the playoffs. Um, only three teams have lost from a 10-point deficit or a 10-point lead uh, in the fourth quarter, and he was directly involved with two of them. Well, there's no doubt there's going to be the uh, Steve Young monkey on his back. Yeah. Um, clearly, obviously, it's never one person's fault, um, Even though, but he's the guy who's going to take a lot of the blame. Um, and the running game, it really wasn't as impressive, which didn't warrant 40 carries like they, they've had you know, a lot of the times during the season. Um, and sometimes, you know, you just you you're paying your quarterback to try and make a play to win the game, and um, obviously it did not happen. But I I truthfully thought Kyle Shanahan did call a fairly well game as far to, as far as uh, you know mixing it up, keeping the, the defense off balance, and uh, getting everyone uh, who needed to touch the ball involved in the game. Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, if you're gonna take it off of Kyle Shan- Kyle Shanahan's shoulders, the blame squarely goes to Jimmy Garoppolo, right? He failed to make plays they needed to make in order to win the game they had opportunities to convert on third downs that he just blatantly missed Emmanuel Sanders towards the end of the game there um he didn't play great and he had two interceptions that's a that's a huge point um that kind of gets washed by the whole hey can't Kyle Shanahan lost double digit leads in both Super Bowl appearances end of the day Kyle Shanahan's a really good coach I expect him to make another Super Bowl appearance and hopefully he can win, you know, one at least some point down here. Uh, San Francisco is still a really good team. They're going to be good for a while. Um, I think they have some areas to address, and they'll do that throughout the course of the upcoming seasons. But this is a pretty good, you know, foundation to build upon with the offensive line and the defensive line and, you know, some of the wide receivers that they have. They need to add more wide receiver talent, but with Kittle being one of the best tight ends, if not the best tight end in the league, and, you know, we've seen that any running back can work kind of in this system – uh, it's going to come down to Jimmy G probably at some point, and he's going to have to step up and make the play. So, do but. you do you think it's a factor um, that they last week didn't throw the ball? Do you think as far as live speed game speed reps, uh, not only for for Jimmy G as a passer, <clears throat> but also for the offensive line? Um, obviously, if if you run the ball as often as they did the week before and only throw the ball eight times, uh, that's a lot of downhill forward pass uh, pass block or sorry run blocking versus more scheme conscious pass blocking. Do you think any of that played a factor? I kind of thought that their offensive line played pretty well throughout yeah. the game. Um, sure, you're going to get some sacks. They Kansas City has a really good 
you know, they have a good defense coordinator, sure. obviously, that got them to this point. And then also, they have some really talented players. Frank Clark was traded for a first-round draft pick. He was franchised. You know what I mean? Like, he's an elite edge rusher. You got Terrell Suggs with all his experience. You got, um, you know, some of the other guys that they have across that defensive line. Chris Jones is a monster. Uh, I'm sorry. I, uh, yeah. I went, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, Chris Jones is a monster for Kansas City. And, you know, he, he made some really good plays. Derek Naughty, who loves dogs and loves uh, animal shelters. Uh, he, did you not see that story? No. Um, he, he he made some good plays and you know to stop the run, um, but I just I don't think that they and tried to force the run as much as they could have. Uh, I would have liked to see Mostert get a few more carries, and I think that would have probably helped them in terms of some of the stuff they were doing. But they they tried a few trick plays, and I get that to open things up. But like at some point, you got to get back to what your bread and butter is, sure. and they didn't do that. Tell that story. So yeah, so Derek <laughs> Naughty, um, after the Super Bowl, he decided that he was going to. Uh, go to all the homeless shelters in the Kansas City area, working with a foundation that he works for, and he paid all the adoption fees for all the pets. Um, there was up to like 109 or something available at one particular That's adoption awesome. center, and they've already had like 50 of them get adopted. And then Rachel Ray saw the story and doubled down on it. She said, hey, like, I'm actually going to pay any Kansas City shelter that, you know, for, with this thing, um, I'm going to give you guys free dog food for a year. Oh, that's cool. So that's really cool. And yeah, go Derek Naughty, go Knowles. Yeah, I like that. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, I mean, my, my feeling was pretty much the same. A lot of the changes back and forth, um, it really came down to Mahomes, who had a really, overall, not a very good game, but he did the opposite. He was clutch when it mattered. He, he delivered when it mattered. Um, the ending in that game was, was fast-paced, and, and Kansas City showed a lot of efficiency. Um, what, what, what else were your big takeaways? What were some of the things that really stuck out to you? Yeah, you know, I, I did find it rather funny that, you know, talking about, oh, Mahomes didn't play well. Well, you know, it's still a really good defense. Um, the Niners are a really good defense. Absolutely. So, you know, you know, whoever thought he was going to come out and throw for 500 yards and five touchdowns, um, well, hope, hope you're not betting on anything. But um, the Chiefs playing defense in, in clutch time, crunch time, and um, not giving up when they were getting chunked and – I gave a lot of chunk plays, but just not giving up fighting the whole way through. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest thing for me. Yeah, um, they forced a bunch of field goals, too. Yeah, so. you know, um, a lot of bend don't break. Um, but some of the schemes that they divvied up, um, putting guys in weird positions, um, I can't tell you how many times I saw Terrell Suggs, who uh, even though his name wasn't called too much, um, he, was in, he was in a lot of throwing lanes, which, you know, it doesn't come up in the stat sheet. Um, but, you know, getting out of your – selected zone to cover areas based on just film plays like that don't show up um but plays like that really made a difference not their their defense um who i thought was what they were going to need to win the game came through and that's what that's what uh, put them over the top i also wanted to touch on briefly some of the other players that really had standout games damian williams uh should have been in contention for mvp of that game as should far as i'm it. concerned should have won um it. over 100 yards rushing i think 40 something plus yards receiving uh, receiving touchdown, rushing touchdown, including, you know, one of the biggest runs of the game to, like, really pull him away there. Uh, he went undrafted the as coming out of college. The He was hanging on, hanging out with uh, the, the Miami Dolphins, and they never gave him a shot, um, and he winds up in Kansas City, and then here we are a couple years later, and he's, you know, excelling on the biggest stage in football history. So it just goes back to one of the things that I always like to say. You don't need to spend draft picks on running backs, especially first-round picks. Sure. Um, how about Tyreek Hill? He had a monster game. Yeah. Um, they moved him all over the field and were just trying to utilize him to confuse the defense. In fact, I think he's the reason that 
Patrick Mahomes played better towards the second half is because he was like, all right, I'm just going to kind of find my guy, like go get him the ball to get him to make plays and stuff. Him and Kelsey really came up big. And then Sammy Watkins burning Richard Sherman down the sideline. That was beautiful. Uh, yeah, so that, that was a huge play. Richard Sherman didn't play awful, but he also didn't play great. Um, it's bad if you want to say that you're the best corner in the league and then you don't show up in the biggest game on of, of you know that you have that opportunity for. So that that's not that's not a good look, Richard. Now, um, obviously, the Niners would have had a much better <clears throat> chance to win if uh, Kittle didn't blatantly pass interfere with that defender on that uh, big, <laughs> on that dime pass from Jimmy G. Yeah. So if you uh, had paid attention to some sharps and stuff like that, they actually have some of these metrics on referees, and this referee in particular and uh, the crew and stuff, they do not blow a lot of whistles. So they kind of are one of those let the teams play, which. Both teams should absolutely understand what the situation is going to be for the game. Go out there expecting a certain thing and make adjustments if you have to. But uh, at the beginning of the game, if you notice they're not calling a lot of stuff, go out there and be physical and see what you can get away with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, truthfully, um, as a fan, I really like, you know, minus that play. Um, but you could have challenged it. I thought I really enjoyed how it was officiated. Um, obviously, there was a nice handful of. Uh, textbook you know by the book penalties that weren't called um truthfully i think that the the entire season should be ref that way too many um you know pitsy patsy calls are made that change the outcome which we talked about all season long um so i i really enjoyed that part of the game um yeah but i mean we talk about offensive pass interference and and you know oh they could have challenged it but like that's been the punchline of the season the fact they don't overturn it so why would you give a tight end in that or a timeout in that that stage uh, of the game when you know it's not going to be overturned because it hasn't been all season. I just I think it's a bad call uh, that kind of runs a, a, against the the pace of play and, and kind of the, the direction the play was heading as far as letting things go. Um, I mean that's that's hand fighting that happens on every single play. Yeah, like I said, that that was the only call I thought was bad. I was good. I was good with everything else. Same. Um, no, but that that was just my point of view. Speak, yeah. Speaking of timeouts, what do we feel about Shanahan and the timeout that he didn't call? Uh, at the end of the first half, just to touch on a hot topic here. So, one thing you have to look at, you can obviously, you know, look back, oh, why didn't you call it? Well, the reason you don't call that timeout is because as the 49ers, your your defense is what has, has gotten you there, okay? So, you call a timeout, you go, you get the get the ball with, a, what, a minute 20, potentially inside your five-yard line, then what? You, if you go three and out and then give the Chiefs the ball back with a minute, a minute left in the half yeah. at midfield, so you, you can't just give that up. Um, obviously, they you know move the ball, they get, they get a touchback and a couple of nice plays, but the way that that game was moving, um, they had a there was a much better chance for the Niners to give up points rather than drive down the field and score at that moment. Also, it goes into how much do you trust your quarterback, and you know based on his performance throughout the course of the rest of the game, maybe you just didn't have too much trust in Jimmy G to uh, play in that situation with you know it, with the time crunch. Sure. That, you know that, that's a pretty big uh, that's a pretty big ask of uh, of any quarterback that isn't you know um, your elite players like Mahomes. Um, it's a very 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 tough ask in that moment. Yeah. So I, I think that pretty much wraps up you know everything from from the game. Uh, obviously, congratulations to the Chiefs. Uh, it's nice to see Andy Reid get get a Super Bowl. Um, but we'll we'll move into now. Uh, they just announced the Hall of Fame class uh, for this year. So obviously, from the modern selection, the players they get in: Troy Polamalu, Edron James, um, 
Tory Holt, which we'll talk about in, probably in great detail. Uh, Isaac Bruce, you mean? Or, I'm sorry, sorry, Isaac Bruce. Uh, Tory Holt should have got in over him. Uh, Hutchinson and Atwater. So those are the five. Um, what what are your takes? Obviously, you know, kind of a spoiler there. Uh, from my summation, I think Isaac Bruce is actually probably the worst wide receiver that was eligible. Um, if you look at Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt as, as being the other options there, I, I like both of those guys better than Isaac Bruce. I don't think Isaac Bruce was the best receiver in the league ever um, at any time during his career. And for most of his career, he was overshadowed on his own team. Um, you know, I, I was right in that ballpark with you. Um, I was very... I was very happy to see, you know, like um, Atwater get in. Um, I think all three safeties are in the same same realm. Yep. Um, your borderline guys that could go either way. But, you know, like, as we spoke, I, it definitely should open the door. Um, I think of the two, probably Lynch going forward. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'm still kind of torn on Edron James, even though he is one heck of a philanthropist. But, <laughs> um, um, you know, I think Fanica will go in the following year. Um, yeah. But, you know, th- my biggest question was – was Troy unanimous this year? I I don't I don't know. Uh, so obviously not as big of a thing in football. Uh, there's not as many unwritten rules about you know football as there is baseball and, and you know kind of the shit show that, that becomes those unwritten rules. Uh, I don't know if he was, but if, if if he wasn't, I don't know how. But again, not something that we really track. Not something that people really care about a whole lot. Uh, but Troy Polamalu defined defensive play for a, a long period of time uh, really kind of positionless uh, you know obviously goes in as a safety but uh ryan clark played center field so troy Polamalu could just kind of do his thing and and you never really knew where troy was going to be on the field uh, obviously well deserved the best i think the best player that got in this year um just ahead of hutchinson i think hutchinson's amazing obviously not as sexy of a position not as many, you know, awesome highlight f- films and and you know, impact plays, jumping over the line or anything like that uh, for for a guard. But I agree with you. I think Fanica uh, got a snub here, a little bit of a snub here. Probably a product of one uh, not putting two two offensive linemen in the same year, if that was a thought for some people. And also uh, with the the historical list or the, you know, some of the coaches and other players and, and older players, quite a few Steelers got in this season. So they probably I don't know if they wanted to keep it level and, and not let too many of one team in. Uh, but Fanica, absolutely. I mean, you can make an easy case that he's more deserving than Edron James or Isaac Bruce. And he's right up there with Hutchinson, as far as I'm concerned. They're, neck and neck. They're, yeah, they're, their resumes are basically the same. Um, going to the wide receiver thing where you mentioned, oh, is he, you know, is Isaac Bruce the worst wide receiver out of this class? Uh, he his, In his career, he had four Pro Bowl appearances, yep. zero All-Pros. Both the other receivers were at least a one-time All-Pro. Yep. Um, all of them won a Super Bowl, so that... To me, that's a wash. You can't be like, oh, well, he won a Super Bowl. Well, the, the others two won Super Bowls as well. And then Reggie Wayne, six Pro Bowls to his four. And um, Torrey Holt, seven Pro Bowls to his four. Yeah. So, yeah, both of them definitely have better resumes. Uh, Isaac Bruce had a longer career and I guess maybe accumulated maybe more yards and stuff like that. But also, he was never the best wide receiver on his team. So teams didn't have to double team him they would double team the other receiver if they had to right and they'd be like oh we don't care if isaac bruce beats us because that's not our biggest concern he did have the you know uh, some some benefit to playing with kurt warner during his peak years for a few years there and that really helped with the you know greatest show on turf and the way that they kind of changed football to make it more of a air raid style game in that era um but yeah, to me, it just there's nothing impressive about Isaac Bruce. I don't think he's even, he's even deserving of being a Hall of Famer. Yeah. To me, he's squarely should be outside, but definitely not 
if you're electing them over the other two guys, that's a joke. Yeah, that's, um, that's the thing that doesn't make sense. And, and, and if we talk about some of the other the theories and, and you know ideas on why Fanico is held out, you can't tell me it's because he's the Rams because you could easily just put Torrey Holden instead. Um, and again, the least deserving of the three. So that one doesn't make a lot of sense for me personally. Uh, and I think we're kind of all in agreement on that. Right. Um, some of the other guys, there was some talk about Tony Baselli. To me, I've addressed this before. He he didn't play long enough. Um, obviously, if you're looking at the other two offensive linemen in this class, they're way better resumes yeah. than him. Um, and his, you know, he was good for a peak, but he got injured and never was able to really play much to the level of that again. And to me, like people are like, oh, well, you know, if he hadn't gotten hurt, he would have been this great. It's like, listen, that's what happens in football. People get hurt. It's kind of the sh- the thing. Like everyone gets hurt. So being and able to I've... overcome injury and come back and play at a high level still is important. And if you can't do that, then you have to have had a long career of productivity before you get hurt. And I think offensive line's tough because there's not like what stat do you really point to to say this is why statistically this guy deserves it over this? Is it the guys that run behind them? Well, they don't have a lot of control over that. Yeah, they're blocking and making you know obviously making holes and, and blocking for these guys. But there's a difference in quality of running back behind you that you can't control. Um, so for me, I, I really think you know we, we talk about longevity and some guys get in on longevity uh, and, and just accumulating yards over a period of time. I think offensive line is the is the one position where I, longevity kind of goes with the territory. It's, it's a, right, posi- it's a position based on toughness. Yeah, you, you don't you don't hang around and play the offensive line for the NFL if you're not good for right. very long. You know, right. there's not just like average guys hanging on for very long. Yeah. Um, you have to play, be at least an above average player at that position because there's guys coming for you for, I can't, all over. The, I can't know? imagine a player good enough, a guy's peak good enough that he could have on the offensive line played for five years and made it in. No right. Like yeah. a Terrell I, Davis. I, like I, even like if we're talking Jonathan Ogden level talent, you take Jonathan Ogden and say, yep, he played five years, got hurt, that was it. I don't think he gets in. Unless he was, like, first-team All-Pro, never allowed a sack during his career. And it takes, that, it usually that would takes be the off- level that it would have to be in order to be at that. And it usually takes offensive linemen, again, because they're not. it's not a sexy position. People aren't right. paying attention to it a lot. You have to be the best... You almost have to be the best player in the league before your reputation gets you on the All-Pro team right. for a few years. I mean, look at... Right now, nobody can tell me that there's a guard better than Quentin Nelson. And is he has he been an All-Pro yet? Yes, yeah. Just this last year, right? His rookie year, actually. Oh, it was his rookie year? Okay, so then finally, you know, some draft type paid off for a guy. Yeah. But typically, they're playing at that level for two years, and then they get attention. What were the names that were associated with Quentin Nelson coming out of college? Alan Fanica and Steve, Steve Hutchinson. Hutchinson exactly. So these are the guys that they, that they always describe as that prototype for yep. those offensive linemen. Let's move on real quick to some of the other guys. Sure. Edron James, uh, 13th all-time in rushing. Um, you mentioned he was a four-time All-Pro, only first-team All-Pro once yeah. out of that four. Uh, played on, you know, a really good offense with a really good scheme and system. Uh, you know, he, he's a pretty good player. Yeah. Uh, I think that running back is an over-recognized position for in terms of the Hall of Fame. Um, they put all these running backs in, and I'm just like, you know, you're not giving credit to some of those other guys that sure. do all the other things. Then you look at uh, Zach Thomas is a guy who, you know, some people are like, hey, he had a ton of tackles. Did he ever really play for a bunch of good teams? You know, he never won a Super Bowl. Uh, Did he change any games, or was he just around the ball? Right. And, you know what I mean? For being a productive and longtime NFL player, he's that accumulator, you know, you always talk about. Yeah. Richard Sherman definitely is a game wrecker. Um, and Seymour. is a guy who who put yeah Richard Seymour yeah Richard Seymour um, and he should eventually probably get in there I think Lynch gets in eventually um, and Leroy Butler probably is on that in that conversation for those guys um, but you could look at them as a couple snubs over some of those guys selected uh, you know Edron James and Isaac Bruce namely being the two top two 
Yeah, I, I agree. Um, other names, obviously, Sam Mills. I'm on the edge. I'm on the kind of the, the border with him. I don't know which way to go. Um, not Just really. Say no. I really, I really wouldn't be upset either way. Uh, same with with Zach Thomas. I don't really care which side he lands on. Uh, my gut says out. If I had to pick, if I had to vote, I, I wouldn't vote for him. Uh, Richard Seymour, obviously, he had he had a three or four year peak where he was, I think, pretty undoubtedly one of the best interior offensive linemen or de- sorry defensive linemen in the league. Um, but he had he, he was wrecking games. That that o three o four run uh, was just absolutely dominant. And the ability to wreck games, in my opinion, for defensive players, that's a staple. You like you really need that yeah. out of those guys in order to recognize them as some of the greatest of those positions. Yep, I agree. 100%. So, so if uh, if Patrick Mahomes only plays four or five more years in his NFL career, and he kind of splits the difference statistically from year obviously year one as a starter in this year. Um, is that someone who still gets in the Hall of Fame, even with like you know six, seven years total played? I think if he was able to do play at this level, like he did the last two years for six, seven years, and maybe hey, not get injured for miss a couple of years, a couple of weeks, like he did this season. Um, sure, and also, how many Super Bowls does he win yeah. at that point in time? Because if he wins multiple Super Bowls, he's gonna get in. Like for we're the talking, most part. we're talking like three hundred touchdowns then. Yeah. So if he has three hundred touchdowns, uh, the kind of a similar ratio to what he has now. And you know, a, a mentionable number of uh, rushing yards, which it's nothing crazy. It's not a huge component of his game, but they're there. And then wins one more Super Bowl. Yeah, that's kind of the, the the model for a guy having a big enough peak where you can get him in. I, I would say so. Yeah, I, I would say so. Right on. Awesome. Do we want to touch on some of the uh, prop bets that you guys made last week? Yeah, we can actually. So we'll, we'll dive into those. Um, obviously, you know, just kind of throwing those out there, and, and some of them are a little outlandish. But I think Marcus had six. Yeah, so I knocked, right? so out of our ten that we discussed last week, I knocked down six. You got four. Nice. Um, I, th- I think the coin flip was only a 50-50 chance. <laughs> on- <laughs> um, I think the one that I was most disappointed about losing, and I know you were because I got texts like mid-play, was oh. uh, the uh, over-under of uh, guys to throw a pass. When he when he rolled out on that, I'm like, throw the ball, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know both, both, both teams run their re- reverse pass like we talked about. And both, both abort. Yeah, both abort. <laughs> Just throw it out, throw it away, do something. Well, good awareness on those players to uh, get some yards. Stop being good football players. Yeah. Just let it go. And, and not not make a bad Chuck throw, it. Though. Yeah, I think uh, I think the one that was um, our one of our favorite ones was the jersey number to score under twenty six and a half. Yeah, um, you know it's basically tight ends only um, at that point, like um, in Bourne. Um, and, and then what's his face? Uh, the Mostert. Uh, in Mostert, yeah. yeah. But um, so you're up. The odds were leaning go under for sure. Um, but I, I think our favorite one that we locked in on immediately was largest lead of the game at fourteen and a half. No chance. Uh, it, you know it. A little sweat came when the Niners jumped up 2010 and got the turnover, but sure. uh, obviously Chiefs turned it on and sealed that one. Um, even our boy Kyle Juzi Checky Juzi Checky, yeah, you check. Got yeah. involved in the pass game. Yeah, he got involved in the pass game. Did not run the ball, but uh, hey, but he looked pretty jumping in the Scores end zone. Too, yeah. Um, but yeah, we all in all we fared pretty well. Over under for the interceptions, I thought was a critical one. Um, and there wound up being four interceptions, yeah. two thrown by each quarterback. Yep. So I thought that was an interesting prop bet. Um, yeah, we bo- we both um, got screwed on the uh, fumbles. No one lost the ball on that end. Um, I, you know, some people looked at me crazy. I th- I thought Mahomes was they were going to get to him early. Um, I knew he was going to throw at least one. I knew 
Uh, Jimmy G was going to throw at least one. What did you guys think on that Mahomes fumble? My, my first thought, like, seeing Mahomes diving that ball is like, oh, that's what you wanted Cam to do there. <laughs> like, that's that's what you're supposed to do when you're a quarterback in the Super Bowl and, and the ball is on the ground. Or Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Just go get it. Last, the Aaron Rodgers last, one. Last so the Aaron Rodgers one, I'll give him a, pa- a pass. He's four yards from that football, and there are three offense or defensive lineman uh, in between him and the ball. There's the, the the center, his pulling guard, and the defensive tackle. There's no chance Aaron Rodgers is getting there. Yeah. Cam Newton almost stepped on the football. <laughs> right. Like, stop being a pussy. Go get the football. Where is like diving out. Like, just you, he could have bodied him and got that ball. You're a big boy. Go get it. Yeah. It, it, man, it was. It's just beautiful watching Mahomes play. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's passionate, man. That, the kid wants to win, and. You know he's 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 gonna win for quite some time now. And the answer that everyone really wants to know: um, Did the butt cleavage one cover? Oh, so how there, did they rule that? There was he, oh, there was so much butt cleavage. It was beautiful. So uh, yeah, so, so, so was it butt cleavage angles. or was it a malfunction? Right. I, I was a little confused it, it, on that one. It was butt it was either cleavage. Or. Either or. Oh, okay. I took that. I took that one right. Yeah, that's the way to go. So much glorious butt, butt cleavage. Yeah, uh, and if you don't like girls shaking their butts on national television, then one, you're a prude, and two, uh, I don't need that kind of negativity there's a, in my there's life. A, there's a purist colony forming from all the people that are upset. Uh, I saw some guy today uh, is suing the NFL because he he's worried that it damaged his uh, soul. Or something to that effect. Yeah. I, like, I saw a picture of Cher from like 1980 uh, oh, something, yeah. whatever, what she wore. Mm. Or shirtless Adam Levine from last year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, whatever. It's Come bullshit. on. Get yeah. over this. You, you, over you know, Newman there just kind of brought me back to like 8th grade, ninth grade. You know, you're like, hey, just touch it. Oh, come on. Don't be a prude. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so, we'll, we'll kind of transition here. Obviously, you know, we're going to have some other topics during the offseason. Uh, one of them being baseball. Two big stories coming out in baseball. Obviously, the the Mookie Betts trade and the, the rippling effect that that's having happening. There's like four or five teams total involved, and we're seeing some secondary trades um, happen off of that. And then also, what we'll start with here is is Pete Rose. So Pete Rose is formally appealing to Major League Baseball, basically saying, "Hey, there's been an era of cheating since you banned me." Uh, there's been the steroid era and, and a lot of proof that baseball kind of knowingly looked the other way. There's also obviously what's going on right now with with the um, the Players Astros and yeah, yeah the Astros equipment. and and the Red Sox and the fallout from that, and then obviously rippling to the Mets with Carlos Beltran uh, being a victim of that as well. So he's basically saying, "Hey, it's been 30 years. I've done my time. You guys are obviously looking the other way. There shouldn't be two sets of rules: one for Pete Rose and one for everybody else." How do you guys feel about this one? Um, Pete Rose, it, he deserves the Hall of Fame. This, uh, the, there's no one that could ever change my mind. Yeah. Um, even if you showed me proof that he was betting against his team, well, you know, got to make that money, man. Pete Rose, Hall of Fame, 2021. Yeah, so uh, I agree with Pete Rose. I've also been a guy who's long felt that, you know, what he did on the field should stand out versus what he did off the field or as a manager and stuff. Um, so, but he, but he, he makes some good points here. If we're just going to look the other way, like these guys who were accused of, uh, and tested positive for steroid usage, you know, are being allowed to be on the hall of fame ballot, but Pete Rose is not. So that's, you know, that's the thing, like whether or not all the writers will vote him in, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. 
uh, over the course of the next few years, unless. But let the some... writers police that. Don't, right. Don't it, keep them off the, it, the ballot. Exactly. And so. Manny Ramirez is on the ballot with a positive test. R- multiple positive tests. Right. A Rod is coming up, and he's going to be on the ballot with yep. multiple positive tests. And there's other guys who've who've been on the ballot who have n- we have known have cheated. Mark McGuire with the admitted. You know what I mean? So like that that all absolutely holds weight. And then going back to this other point with the whole hey they're cheating. You know the game by stealing signals using electron. Stealing signals is not a problem. When you're using electronic devices and sure. using video and stuff like that in-game to steal signals from the other team, that's taking it to another level across the line. And they cross the line. Shouldn't these players just be, oh, you're not going to be eligible for the Hall of Fame? I mean, if Pete Rose, that's basically what happened to him. That's what also happened to, you know, the guys with the Black Sox scandal. Sure. Maybe these guys should get in posthumously if uh, you look at them. But Although probably Joe Jackson's the only one that qualifies of that. Yeah, I, and I I would almost be happy and, and accepting if they came with, with some kind of mid-ground. So basically, hey, as P. Rose is the player, is, is Hall of Fame eligible. P. Rose, the manager, is still banned from baseball. Um, not allowed to he's participate. not allowed to work he, in he, baseball? Yeah, he can't work in baseball moving forward. He's still you know banned from participating in baseball in any future fashion. But Pete Rose, the player, is Hall of Fame vote eligible. Yeah, and you know, you like to touch, and I think I think he's taking the appropriate steps um, in filing his appeal, and you know, I think everything compiling is going to help his case. And truthfully, I, I can't see the writers. At least I'd imagine the writers um, might have a lot more sympathy towards him in their votes. I I, I think he as soon as they, if he does get this cleared, I think he's an, like an absolute shoe in. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I I disagree with you on that point. Just it would, based t- it on would the take him a history, few cycles at least. But um, especially with the, the older writers probably are the ones who are less likely to vote him in. I think yes. the young writers would be more willing to look past his transgressions and just look at his resume as it was. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's my take on Pete Rose, and I think he should be in the Hall of Fame eventually. He probably could get there, and we'll see. But I this think we is all a, agree on that this, this is a good step towards him for him. So, so what do you make of this Mookie Betts trade? So uh, the, the Red Sox play the unusual role of small team seller. And dump some, <laughs> dump some payroll, uh, dump some capital, and in the process, take a diminishing return on one of the best players in baseball. Uh, typically, not something you see happen very often. Some people are saying, "Oh, this is the you know the Babe Ruth trade all over again." Um, what do you make of of this whole kind of Mookie Betts thing? And, and it's it's something that we're seeing a lot of, but usually it's not teams like the Red Sox. Yes, usually it's not teams up in the in the top of the payroll. It's it's the Marlins dumping you know Stanton or, or something to that effect. Stanton, Christian Yelich, and Marcelo Zuna, basically in the same offseason. Don't say that. We might, yeah. have, we might have Marlins fans listening. Yeah, don't, yeah. Don't make anybody do anything to themselves. You know, and if you, I mean, just to touch on the Mar- on the Marlins real Brutal. quick, they also traded away some really good pitchers, Luis sure. Castillo, Chris Paddock, uh, Andrew Heaney, who are like bouncing around throughout the league and are at least average to some of them maybe above average players. Yeah. You're telling me that if you would have just, you know, held on to those guys and held on to those outfielders that you couldn't have had a productive team? I'm not buying it. No. But moving back to the actual question. So the actual trade, it's a three-team deal. Uh, the Red Sox are going to get uh, Verdugo from the Dodgers, yep. and they're going to get uh, Bruce Dar Greaterall from the Minnesota Who's an Twins, absolute freak. Who is uh, rated as a 50 future value pitcher. Um, he but has, if you like 100-mile-hour sinkers, he's yes. your guy. <laughs> so he, throw, he throws really hard. He's yeah. uh, like 265 pounds at 6'1", yeah. which is a big boy. Um, he has, you know, he has a 70 grade fastball and a 60 grade slider. So those are both two key carryings. And basically the thought process is if he can stay healthy, he has the potential to be a starter 
at the major league level. But if he's not, if you know, if he has some arm issues or can't stay healthy or whatever, um, or maybe he can't find that third pitch, his changeup has regressed a little bit. Um, that he can at least be an elite back end of the bullpen kind of guy, which is, you know, pretty good player. If you're trading that and you say, hey, this is what you got for David Price and you gave up most of David Price's contract, that's pretty good. To the Dodgers, they get David Price, Mookie Betts, who, you know, is one of the top five players in baseball right now. And um, a little bit of cash does go their way. And then the Twins pick up Kenta Maeda, who's a pretty quality pitcher for a team that tried to get some pitching this offseason, but didn't have luck uh, signing some of the guys. So this is, we, we talked about this in the last pod, uh, or the one before that, when we talked about the Sano signing and kind of criticizing, hey, uh, in case you guys didn't know, Sano is not a pitcher, and you need pitching. You uh, just... Do- Donaldson, I believe. But yeah. Uh, well, yeah, both of those happened at the same time. They, re- they re-signed they re-signed. Yeah, they, exen- they Sano. extended Sano and signed yeah, Donaldson. So they, they log-jammed third base, so obviously I, I think Sano plays first. Yeah, he's going to slide over and play first. I think it's a good move for the Twins to exact some value in here and get, you know, uh, I think Kenta Maeda is probably a number three starting pitcher, and that slots in well and helps them could be for the future. Um, yeah, he could eventually. Yeah, he had a really strong caper nine through August, uh, and actually his, his peak velocity for the year was in August. Mm-hmm. So that that slates well for somebody who can who can pitch a lot of innings. He was still a starter at that point, and then transitioned to the bullpen. Uh, the same time that they transitioned Ross Stripling to the bullpen, kind of you know push some of those guys to the pen from the starting rotation. Doing the games that the Dodgers do with their starting pitchers for the most part. Anytime a Dodgers pitcher gets traded somewhere else, I, I think there's an uptick in his value just because the Dodgers notoriously. Uh, Put guys on a on a small pitch count. Don't let guys go out there for you know six seven innings. Um, so if you're a fantasy baseball, baseball player, obviously there's a huge bump to Maeda. And there's just a I like jam. changing leagues for him too in terms of fantasy. I do too, and I, I think that allows him to really grow into that number three or maybe a two role. Not I don't think he has ace top side, uh, but I think his his probably his ceilings a two. Um, and again, just getting to pitch more innings and, and getting to, to sometimes guys just need to get a feel for it. Yeah, you, you know when it, when it comes to Mookie Betts, um, obviously the, the Red Sox are kind of looking for a different type of splash. Um, but I think you know he, he's been slightly banged up over the last couple years. Um, and then we start talking like soft tissue issues, sure, dealing with um, foot and, um, and potentially like list break in, injury, injuries. Um, Forty million dollar contracts is a lot of guaranteed money to uh, ship someone's way on the injury that could happen at any time during the year. Um, so truthfully, it's it's obviously it's a gamble either way. Um, I think you're gambling the right way to not pay $40 million towards someone that could miss the entire season and beyond. Yeah, so his contract was about 27 and a half for this year, and then Price is owed $96 million over the course of the rest of his deal. I don't know how much money is going to the Dodgers in handling this, but... Um, in terms of what the Red Sox get back, uh, Alex Verdugo is a really good player. He, at some points, was top 50 prospect in baseball. Um, he's an outfielder. He'll probably slot in and play right field. He's not Mookie Betts. He's not that, that level of hitter. He's pretty good defensively and can do a lot of things. Um, so it's a decent return. If you look at historically, a lot of guys who are on either um, half a season rentals towards the end of their uh, time and just one season left to go before free agency, position players lately have not really been returning all that much value. Sure. So people will like to say, oh, you know, they gave him away for pennies. And it's like, you don't understand the concept. I'm sure the Red Sox were out there trying to deal him and they're trying to get the best deal that they can get. Um, and, you know, getting the, the money off the books is obviously one of the motivating factors for him in taking this return. But 
it, you also have to have somebody on the other side willing to trade you some good prospects in order to just, you know what I mean? Like for, in order to really criticize that deal. And we don't have insight on what those negotiations were or how they went. To me, this returns, it's decent. It's not great. It's not a loss either way. Um, I like the return that they got in terms of the players that they actually got. I think those are good players. Verdugo's solid. Um, I, and and Greater All has a chance to be plus. I agree. Um, so so the players that they get back, this is fine. Uh, for the Red Sox, you have to look at this holistically. What else are you going to do with this flexibility and freedom that you've got now? Um, for the Dodgers, I really like this move. I think this pushes you towards getting back to another World Series. Uh, you have a, just a loaded lineup. You're going to have Bellinger and Muncie and Gavin Lux, Corey Seager, Justin Turner. Uh, Will Smith came on really strong last year. And then you stick Mookie Betts in that lineup. This is the lineup that is... Oh, by the way, AJ Pollock, who previous to, to breaking his uh, ankle... Elbow. Elbow? Elbow. Yeah. On the last game of preseason two years ago, was was coming off a really hot season. Was a lot of guys, you know, dark horse to, to be an all-star candidate. Um, and, and some even some low-vote uh, NL MVP talks. Yeah. As far as productivity Come, comes back, has a decent year last year. I think they're projecting to play really well. And if you talk about you know a peak, let's say AJ Paul gets back to what he was, you know, three years ago. Well, um, or close to it. Or close to it, paired with Bellinger and Betts. I mean, that's probably the best outfield in baseball. It's definitely got to be up there in terms of discussing what what they're capable of doing. But yeah, you've got two of the best outfielders, period, to carry the weight, even if Pollock doesn't return to that that, that yeah. level, and they have to throw in a Chris Taylor or a Kiki Hernandez, whatever. And that's a good thing um, to bring up, too, is that they have some guys who play really good defense. If they need to, if Pollock's bat isn't producing, they can always D it up and, and put it, you know, a Kiki or, or somebody out there. And this is a team that builds depth like no other. They have the still, resources still to do it. Still have a top five farm system. Andrew Friedman knows what the heck, like, heck he's doing. Yep. And, and What was that guy's last name again? Friedman? No, the other one, the cool one. In the islands of Kiki. Kiki oh, Hernandez? Kiki Hernandez. Kiki. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kiki, do you love me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, and then for the other team in this, like I said, I, I like it for Minnesota. So on all ends, I think this is a pretty good deal. Um, some backlash of that trade. Uh, the Dodgers have flipped Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling over to... Has that happened? Is that official yet? Over to the Angels. Physical? This is all... Every All these trades are still pending physicals. Um, and then also uh, a minor league outfielder, Pages, I think is his name. And he's supposed to be Austin pretty Pages? good. Yeah, Austin yeah, Pages. he's solid. He had, um, you know, double-digit homers yep. at, at, a, at a low level of the minors in, had, in not uh, a lot of the bats. Uh, I think he was a rookie A-ball. He had like 19 home runs at age 18. Yeah. Uh, it, over not a lot of a bat. Right. So, so that, that's a good return for the Angels. Um, the Dodgers get Luis Ren, Renjifo, who was formerly a, who is formerly a Rays uh, prospect. Um, who was acquired, I think, for C.J. Crone. And they're also supposed to be at least one prospect heading towards the Dodgers, but as of this moment, that's unknown. So, it's a pretty um, good return for L.A. For, I, I really like it for the Angels' perspective. Um, I think Ross Stripling is a guy that, may, that, that their biggest weakness is their pitching staff, and so I think Stripling's going to help a lot. Jock Peterson's a really quality player. Um, with big time power, and he can slot in there and play, you know, right field or left field and hold, holding the position for Joe Adele. Uh, he only has one year left, so you know, what I mean, that that gives you some time to to wait for this stud rookie that you have coming up. Um, and I think, yeah. So generally, I think for the most part, these have been pretty good, solid baseball trades. Uh, say what you will about the Red Sox wanting to get get rid of some money, but David Price' contract was kind of an albatross, but he's still a really good player. 
and he's going to help the Dodgers too. The, the thing that I think is tough here, and the reason why I still think this is bad for the, for the Red Sox, is uh, we're talking about modern era of baseball. We're talking about one of the most valuable franchises in, in professional sports worldwide. Fan, the average fan doesn't give a shit about their money woes and say, oh, we're so poor. Oh, we need to cut this money. Nobody cares. They shouldn't. The, the fans shouldn't care. They're, they're printing money. Nobody gives a shit about your your financial flexibility. Yeah. They want championships. You're the Red Sox. You should be competing. You don't just give up one of the best players in baseball. Pay that man his contract. Yeah, so here's the, here's the question that I posed to you in this situation then. Um, let's. He said he was going to free agency. They didn't want to risk losing him and getting only back uh, a prospect on the QO offer, etc. But if you're the Red Sox, how close are do you think you are to getting to the playoffs next this coming season? And whether or not you know David Price and and Mookie Betts are good enough to help you get there as you're presently constructed. To me, I think they have a bunch of question marks, and they felt that that's they're more towards the rebuild kind of phase. You know, their projected first baseman is a guy that they resigned for pennies on the dollar, Mitch Moreland. Um, Pedroia is hurt at second base. You know, Xander Bogarts is still really good, and Rafael Devers is coming on strong. Christian Vasquez had a up, you know, a, a positive season for him, but there's some regression possible there. Jackie Bradley Jr. has been bad. Uh, ben Intendi took or, took a step back last year, and then you look at their their relief core like they're bad. Their back end of the bullpen is pretty bad, and their starters aren't necessarily guys that you can count on to be there. Chris Sale has had injury problems. David Price had injury problems. Evaldi, they signed this this uh, two off seasons ago. He's had injury problems. So th- they just probably looked at the landscape and said, "Hey, we don't think we can compete this year. So we might as well, you know." So do you think there are more moves? Do you think JD Martinez is somebody that could be on the move? Do you think? I, I wouldn't be surprised if JD Martinez is traded at some point. Yeah. Um. He still has, I think, three years left on his deal. Yep. He actually opted into his contract, uh, which. The Red Sox may have been hoping he wasn't going to do. If they would, if you know, if he had opted out, they maybe would have held on to Mookie Betts. We don't know, but yeah. So I, I, I do think that the Red Sox have looked at it and they just said we don't think we're going to compete this year. I get it. And let's reset our tax bracket for the the collective bargaining tax agreement. Which I'm, I, I saw you roll your eyes. I get it. Too. I roll my eyes but too. But if you're if you're the, the Red Sox, are, these teams be... are printing money. They don't need to be pinching pennies. That's, it's incredibly tone deaf. The fans don't give a shit about your financial yeah. flexibility or your books. They really don't. Just say, hey, we're not competing. We need to acquire some assets. We're loading up to make a bigger push. We're, you know, we're kind of in a bridge, a, a semi-rebuild year. Those are things fans want to hear. Well, so here's I don't the give thing. A shit Hypothetically, about your let's say let's say let's say you're the Red Sox, and this is your take, right? We're gonna reset our tax bracket, and then next year, when Mookie Betts is a free agent, we're gonna go offer him a big, massive contract to come back to Boston and be the conquering hero. Say something like that, then. Say, hey, this is it. Might not be the end of Mookie. Well, you know, he's gonna go to free agency. Like, there's other things you can say and 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 message. Don't mention the tax bracket. Nobody gives a fuck. Like nobody cares. <laughs> like the average guy in Boston. Trust me, I know the type. They don't give a shit. They 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 just want to win games. Fair enough. And the Rays need to spend more money too. I mean, the Rays need to spend more money too. But honestly, the Rays have built it the right way as far as you know, kind of that money ball structure where you piece together everybody else's discards. I think the, the the Rays are part of the reason why the Red Sox probably are in this position and want to absolutely. Sell. And they took Heim Bloom away from the Rays yeah. uh, to be their new g- general manager. And also this week, as you may have noticed, um, goes. Uh, James Click yep. was hired away from the Rays to the Astros. So two of the teams that have won the last three yeah, World that's Series super severe punishment have hired for the away. Astros, man, 
Yeah. They, they really felt that. They, they really got punished hard. Yeah, yeah. So they replaced their GM from outside their... Don't cheat, guys. It's th- really bad. It doesn't really affect them at all. Yep. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you only win World Series and get top-end GMs. Don't cheat, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is they, they get Dusty Baker on that one-year team option. You already know they're going to slap the whole fucking baseball world in the face and not pick up the team option and bring back A.J. Hinch if they think they can. I don't know that Why the new is GM is going to do that, but um, well, I mean, personally, I don't, I don't really like the Dusty Baker hire. I don't, I don't think he's a very good manager. So I don't either. That's what I'm um, saying. I think they, they hired a puppet for a year because I could get that team to the playoffs. Yeah, they and just, then they just wanted to evaluate Hinch. him. I don't think they're going to go back to Hinch. I think I don't know. I don't know how that well that would be received um, because basically you fired I don't a think guy. They care. They've been you fired barely, a guy to then rehire him. And essentially, there was no penalty to him. So the, it's just a public... It's been the whole theme of this well, thing. It's a, well, they didn't have to fire him. They could yeah. have just said, all right, we'll sit on the sidelines for a year. You know, they didn't have to pay him. The old Sean Payton. But they decided to fire him. So that's a public slap in the face from the Astros. For sure. And shaming of him. So for me, if I'm AJ Hintz and I want to go manage somewhere, do I want to go back to the Astros? Or do I say, fuck I mean, you to The them. owner definitely handled it the worst way. Where I didn't know anything about this. Like, come on, share some responsibility, guy. It's mm. your team. You need to know what's going on in your building. Yeah. On right. to the XFL. So, on to the XFL. So, obviously, uh, we're excited about the XFL. Um, we are season ticket members for the Vipers, uh, front row. We'll be in the Viper Pit, baby. The Viper Pit, which is what we're kind of self-proclaiming the area we're going to sit in. And we're actually looking forward to it a lot. Uh, looking around the different uh, teams and seeing what the projections are. Um, Caesars Palace, the sports book, has the Vipers projected at 7.2 wins, which is the highest for... The, uh, for the league, we also the Vipers opened up as the third highest uh, or third best odds to win the championship. Five to one. Yeah, roughly is, is exactly five to it's one. It's a five to one right now. Perfect. So uh, we really like the the construction of the team. Obviously, we're going to start off with the Vipers and then kind of go through some of these other rosters. But as far as knowing what this league is going to be about, obviously from a quality standpoint, it's not the NFL. It's it's think of it like a Senior Bowl is, is really what I think it's going to be like. A high-end college game, kind of an in-between. Um, I think Trestman's a really, really good and exciting fit for this kind of league. The offensive prowess, the drive. And not only that, but just knowing his propensity for using running backs and the fact that we have kind of a running back-quarterback hybrid. Uh, and, and, you know, the USF. Quentin Flowers. Yeah, exactly. Quentin Flowers, just from the own backyard, is going to play in the same stadium he played in college. What do you what do you think about the roster overall? And, and what do you think about... Uh, kind of the outlook of the league going into the season. So I wanted to touch on Trestman for a quick second. Perfect. One advantage that he does have is he was a coach for the, in the CFL for a long time. Now, I don't know how many of you know the, all that much about the CFL, but there are some different rules that the CFL engages. I know they have that stupid motion. Um, it, the, the, the field's a little bit bigger. You're allowed to run towards the line of scrimmage pre-snap, yep. which you're not allowed to do at the NFL level. And so the XFL is also incorporating some of their own unique rules. So the fact that he has experience taking these unique rules and il- implementing and building an offense, I think will help in terms of what's going, wh- how they're going to be able to utilize that system. Um, I, I think he's a pretty good coach. I think he had some success in Chicago, and I don't... I don't think that I would blame him for all of their losses that they had, but he's being also all of the head coaches are going to be the GMs, so they get to kind of pick their players and mold them for their purposes and uses. I really like that model too. Yeah, so I, I think that'll be interesting to watch, and I think that gives them an advantage over some of the other teams. Definitely. Um, so if we look at just their roster, obviously Aaron Murray stands out. He's one of the better quarterbacks, I think. Uh, He'll be the MVP of this year, Vipers fans. 
Okay. P- playing at Georgia, I always thought that he was a guy that could compete at the NFL level. Same. Um, he, you know, got stuck in some backup roles for some pretty good situations, honestly, with the Saints and Kansas City throughout his career. And I thought, you know, he he's a guy that why not take over for – uh, a guy like Drew Brees once he retires, but obviously that didn't happen because Brees is still kicking. But uh, <clears throat> we look at some of the other positions. They've got a lot of regional talent based from Florida, <coughs> Central Florida, Florida State, Miami, Florida International, USF, Georgia. All that. Those are those are the teams that are those are the pl- types of players that are going to be playing Georgia, for yeah. Florida State. Um, and those are those are really good teams. So you got some guys like. Um, Jacquez Patrick at Florida State. He's a pretty good player. He was all, all Mr. Florida uh, back in high school. Big running back. Yeah. Davion Smith, who who had some really good time at uh, <laughs> at Michigan. He, Minus he was, that. Uh, so the play you know him from is he was on the receiving end of that Jadavion Clowney uh, D Raymond helmet James. hit uh, in Raymond James. Yeah. And that's not his fault. That's the tackle completely missing his oh, block. Oh, for sure. But, but that's that's probably what you know him best <laughs> from. <laughs> yeah, but um, so yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of running back talent for sure. So here's the thing that I think is going to make the most difference for the XFL teams that people aren't going to be able to evaluate because we don't know how to evaluate this position that well. Offensive line. Oftentimes the quarterback play is criticized at in these extra leagues in the AAF and the USFL and other ones, but the offensive line is really hard for them to get offensive line talent because it's hard to get that for the NFL to get offensive line talent. Sure. Defensive lines annually just whoop these guys. So that's the level where I think that's going to take some for some of these in terms of making it better. So which team can scheme the system for the offensive line to play well or has actually good offensive linemen? Um, and then defensive talent, I think, is going to be important. So And defensive schemes. So, you know, the... The Vipers have Jerry Glanville, and you know Jerry Jerry Glanville, Hollywood Glanville. He he's an interesting cat. If you've never uh, heard of him or don't know much about him, you should definitely check that out. Uh, go back and look at some of his history. But he formerly has some head coaching experience for the Atlanta Falcons, yep. including a guy by the name of Brett Favre, who was on his roster at one point in time. Yeah, uh, Brett Favre. Yeah, Favre. So uh, let's uh, let's look around the rest of the league too. Um, so obviously there's some other teams, some some highlights. We're not going to touch on these as much because we're really uh, this podcast. We're going to look at the league in general, but we're really going to be focusing on the Vipers. I think um, what one of my favorite storylines of this season is going to be if you touch into uh, the C- uh, St. Louis Battlehawks over there. Yep. Uh, scroll down just a little bit. Uh, if you go down to number twenty three. Kenny Robinson. So here's a really unique story, and this is part of what is going to be a good thing for the XFL. So Kenny Robinson played at uh, WVU, and he was supposed to he – went, he went to transfer uh, last year but had some family issues to sit out. Um, and, and but he, So he's not eligible for the NFL. He's a talented young player. Um, and instead of going back to college to play one more year to be eligible – He's he's the youngest player out here, so he's he, he would be a junior now. Uh, it's, it's, so it's instead of sitting out now for his third year, he went right to the XFL to make a little cash uh, before he's eligible for the NFL draft. So technically, so after this season, uh, he will be eligible for the following year. I'm I'm excited to see how the the XFL handles that. So you talk about you know the the, the quality of quarterback play. I think the easy one of the easiest ways to get quality quarterback play 
is to say, hey, uh, fresh after your freshman year, they brought in some other guy, or the the quarterback competition didn't go your way, or you know, you look at the the prevalence of the transfer portal, and all these quarterbacks are making big impacts in their first year of the new school and transfer portal. What if instead of hitting the transfer portal, they hit the XFL, play two seasons in the XFL, make some cash, throw up some stats against a little bit better competition, and then maybe you know become a first-round draft pick in the NFL? So you see Nick Fitzgerald there. This is what you're absolutely going to be seeing in the XFL, um, transfer portal guys. Uh, but you will be seeing some guys coming out of high school um, instead of being you know the 30th five-star you know Georgia. Uh, they can come right here and make money going in. Um, they didn't want to do all of their their big moves like that or offer guys like Trevor Lawrence, you know, like the big names in college. Uh, they didn't want to jumpstart it immediately. They wanted to see how this first year would go. Um, but that's definitely something to keep your eye on going forward to season two. Um, you know, even come off season after after however this progresses this season, it could really make a make a big difference in. Um, I'm, the, in transfer portals, college players getting paid and guys uh, signing I'm, out of high school. I'm curious to see how the how the NFL handles that. So if they decide, you know, if they're going to try to put some kind of regulation or ruling that that stops that from happening, um, or if they just embrace it and say, hey, if if our teams can make educated decisions and, and draft guys who have a higher level of competition of play on, on film, then maybe that's a good thing for us. Um, you know, injuries obviously play a factor, what their protection is if they get hurt in the XFL. But to that point, some guys are, are going to want to go, if school's not their focus, if playing the NFL is their focus, maybe go to the XFL and make some cash uh, at the same time. And it's really going to be up to the XFL on how they release them from that contract. Let's say you sign an entry-level deal or you sign a contract that extends beyond the NFL draft. What's the process on getting out of that contract and joining the draft? And I think that's the, where the real opportunity is for the XFL. So I think for the most part, the guys that are going to be coming into the XFL from the college ranks or leaving college early if, instead of going to the NFL are going to be more of the like fringe-style players. The truly elite guys shouldn't leave college because that's, one, it's just a risk to get hurt for a little bit of money versus college. You have much better support staffs and all this other kind. Of stuff I mean, going if on. you're an elite and, guy in college, you're getting paid better in college. Right, and that's also the <laughs> a point that I was going to make. But for the fringe kind of guys, go play. Um, if this is an opportunity for you to go play and get paid and put some good tape on, at worst, maybe that'll give you an opportunity in the CFL or some of the other leagues um, that could happen. But yeah, so I like it for them. Uh, a guy like Trevor Lawrence absolutely should not ever go to the XFL because the, the quality of the offensive line play versus the quality of the defensive line play is better at a place like Clemson with all the stud talent that they have and the protection that sure. you're going to get than going to the XFL because you're much more likely to get hurt playing in the XFL for not a lot of money versus what you can do in a year getting paid as an 1-1 overall. He's going to make $22 million just in signing bonus probably. Sure. So yeah, don't don't. Trevor Lawrence isn't going to the XFL. Well, yeah, well, it, it was just more of the fact that the XFL going and offering contracts to those type of players. Um, but as like I said, however, however this unfolds, season one, do not be surprised for them to be offering contracts to guys in college and guys coming out of high school. Um, yeah, and I think their agents probably will even encourage that. And I think it, I think it's a real opportunity for the XFL to brand themselves as a minor league system for the NFL. Yeah, so that that's definitely an opportunity. And when you go back to the contracts thing that you were talking about, the XFL can kind of, you know, after year one, we'll see. But they might be able to put something in their contract. Hey, if you're coming to play in the XFL, 
the NFL teams, if they want you, they have to buy you out of your contract as a way for them to make money. Or and and the NFL, NFL right. won't want to do that. So maybe the NFL will be like, okay, fine, we'll start utilizing you and we'll help you and support you because that's one of the issues that a lot of these spring leagues and other football leagues have faced is a lack of NFL support. So and that and that's really hindered them in terms of their longevity. But let's get back to looking at some of these uh, rosters real quick after sure. we've had that conversation. So obviously we're still in St. Louis. Uh, Marquette King, somebody that jumps out to me. I know punters aren't necessarily a sexy position, but he is an athlete yeah. who just happens to kick footballs. Yeah, that's um, that's an interesting one. I, I'm surprised he's not in the NFL. He's still. a guy. Yeah, he left the NFL kind of abruptly. I was really surprised. To John see that. Gruden, I think, immediately got rid of him when he took over for the Oakland Raiders. Yeah, um, and I think he was with the Broncos for a year. But I'm surprised he's not a guy that landed somewhere else. And, and hopefully, you know, he kicks the shit out of some footballs and gets back in the NFL. But yeah, this team's got some good players. Keith Mumphrey from Michigan State was a pretty good quality player there. Matt Jones out of florida had some run with the redskins yep um you look at you, you know it's the, these these teams are, are littered with lots of former fringe college player good college players that were fringe nfl stars bj daniels for the uh the seattle dragons yeah the seattle dragons and they also have another quarterback uh brandon silvers no there's another one i think um, so they have also have Keenan Reynolds uh, from Navy, who was a quarterback, option style quarterback there. Another uh, quarterback turned running back, kind of wide receiver. Wide receiver. Uh, I think he played some running back at the NFL level for a period. So he of time kind of played like a weird fringe athlete position uh, mm-hmm. with the Ravens on their camp roster, and then never really stuck there. Uh, Kenneth Farrow is a name I recognize. Sergio Bailey is from West Virginia, right? Yep. So. So for me, I think I think Seattle's actually one of my favorite props. Um, they're I think they're ranked as like one of the worst teams going in, but it, I think they have some some unique talent and some spot positions, which I think in this league and format will be enough to kind of propel you. And I think they're two and a half wins, um, so I think they're my favorite prop to go over. Um, as much as I like the Vipers to win eight, uh, that's that's a lot to ask in a ten game stretch. Sure. Um, um, and then. Yeah. Da- Dallas has Bob Stoops. That's a that's a strong coach. Hal Mummy, some of the other guys that they have in place there. Yeah, I know he- they're another favorite. Uh, Landry <laughs> Jones at quarterback, obviously, is, is a is a big name there. And Eric Dungy is a backup guy who can do a little bit with the running game and stuff. Um, is an interesting player. <laughs> Landry Jones is the highest paid player in the XFL too, by the way. As he probably should be. He has the most NFL success on his under his belt. So. Yep. Cameron uh- Artis Payne. Uh, so he was re- most recently with the Panthers, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you kind of just, out of Auburn, pretty you, good player. Yep, exactly. And you kind of just scroll through here, some some fringe names, some things you probably haven't, some guys you haven't heard of in a while. Uh, but top to bottom is as far as the overall talent there. Isaac Keem, obviously on the, the the staff coaching wide receivers. Or no, we're in Dallas. Sorry, we're not St. Louis. We we just went over them. Um, but a team that I think is favored to be up in the top of the pack as well. One of the favorites to win the, the championship in the, mm-hmm. the first season here. Um, Bob Stoops is probably driving a lot of that. I uh, kind of walked away from football pretty suddenly. I uh, decided this thing's this three years off is what is how long he was away. Yeah. Um, so now he's involved again, obviously the XFL, maybe somebody that, that could become an NFL candidate or another uh, college candidate, most likely. I, I don't think he wants to get back into coaching at that level just based on the time commitment. Uh, yeah. Whereas this, they're paying him a nice little chunk of change to kind of do not a whole lot. Um, June Jones is a former you know, Hawaii coach, set some records, all-time passing, went to SMU. Now he's going to play with the Houston Roughnecks. And, uh, coach. 
Yeah, coach. I'm sorry, coach with the Houston Roughnecks. Can you imagine him playing? Yeah, no, no, no. He's not. Pl- he's definitely not playing. It's like 75. But, uh, I expect them to fully go air raid and do a lot of what we did in college. Connor Cooks flinging the ball. Is, yeah. Is a lot of uh, yeah. Timmy Chang, if you call that name from back in the day. Yep. Actually, one point in time was the all-time record leader for passing yards in college football history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I expect a lot of air game. Uh, so one of the things, if you look back at some of the old um, – Back in the day when Jim Kelly and Steve Young were playing in the other football league before sure. Donald Trump killed it, yep. um, th- those teams were were pretty fun and they did a lot of run and shoot. That's June Jones' offense. Right. Expect him to get back into that. Another team that's going to do that, uh, Kevin Gilbride with the New York um, the New York franchise or team, whatever. Um, he actually is famous for getting punched by Buddy Ryan yeah. uh, on the sidelines of a game and. But yeah, he also was a guy who's you know running a lot of that run and shoot when he was the offense coordinator for the Houston Oilers back in the day when they had Warren Moon and they were really a really good offense and blew one of the largest leads in the history of playoffs against the Buffalo Bills to none other than Jim Kelly. <laughs> and then two two other names there, so Gabe Wright and, and uh, Coney Ely, uh, most both most recently the Patriots to kind of anchor that defensive line. Uh, so Houston, we're seeing kind of on both sides. I would say they have kind of top to bottom one of the better defenses so mm-hmm. we don't really know how that's going to shape up and what that's going to look like uh Latroy lewis uh as well out of tennessee but again one of the teams that's favored to to do well uh with with houston as well so get into dc and again we're just going to kind of hit the highlights uh eli rogers is obviously somebody that's up there um mo- recently in the nfl he was with the, slot stealer wide Steelers. yeah he's terrible <laughs> yeah, but in, in a league like this, I feel like he's a guy that could create. And, Former and well. five-star recruit Malachi Dupree out of LSU back when they didn't have a good quality quarterback option Dor- throwing Dor- the ball. Grant's another big name. Yeah. Matt Elam. Matt Elam from Matt Florida. Elam out of Florida, yeah. And, he, you know, didn't Matt Elam famously negotiate his own contract with the, uh, Ravens. With the Ravens? Yeah. First yeah. Well, not very well. Now now you know why. Um, <laughs> yeah. Marco Thomas, another bum stealer. Scooby Wright, former uh, All American at Arizona as a, as, as a linebacker. Yep. Uh, kind of in that Zach Thomas mold. Little little light <clears throat> on the defense. Uh, ironically, the DC defenders, but uh, <laughs> the offense is loaded. Uh, should be a team that competes well as well. And, and we don't really know what these teams are going to do. Yet the the new system in terms and offensive or and, and rules, I think are going to drive a lot of this and. So we don't really know what to expect. We're looking at rosters and just being like, these are good players that we remember. But in terms of teams and constructions and how they've practiced and how they've implemented the system and scheme, I think the coaches are going to have the most say and touch and feel an impact on these games due to that. Yep. So the the Guardians, New York Guardians, um, just some some names that jump out. And again, just, you know, looking through here, Matt McGloin, obviously, uh, is that, is, is he their projected starter or do they have somebody else slotted? I don't Marquise Williams there, uh, is the other quarterback out of, um, UNC. He yeah. had a really good year at UNC. They lost to Clemson in, they were undefeated. I believe they lost to Clemson in the ACC championship game in like that weird play that people talked about. Uh, I don't know if you yeah, recall it yeah. a few years ago, but yeah, so he, he was the, you know, and then right after that, the head coach, pretty much got fired after having a shitty season the next year yeah. so yeah he, he he's a pretty good player um John Johnson at a TCU yeah uh really these guys I, I would say New York's probably lighter on the, the, the recognizable names mm-hmm. uh some guys at a Monmouth College in New Jersey uh and they kind of spread out a little Old bit Dominion yeah not not a lot of, of New York universities obviously so they, these guys have spread out a little bit more as, as far as sticking to that uh 
that more regional focus. And then we'll go to the last team we haven't covered yet here. So the, the LA Wildcats, uh, Josh Johnson at quarterback, who I think in this format could be an extremely dangerous quarterback. Oh yeah. As he, far as he, what you can do. He has a lot of NFL experience. Yep. Um, Kermit Whitfield, my boy out of Florida state yep. is a really fast player. Um, you haven't seen speed like that. Uh, like he's going to be the fastest man on the field every time he steps on the field sure. for them. So finding a way to get him the, hand, the ball in his hands in the slot and, you know, as a kick returner will be important. Elijah Hood was a really good running back at North Carolina. Yep. Um, Dewan Harris, uh, he, he bounced around the NFL. Do you remember he was with the Packers one year? Um, <clears throat> Taiwan Jones so, uh, so at yeah, Michigan yeah, State. Yeah, so definitely some. Nico Saragusa. Taiwan Jones was a stud at Michigan State. Yep. Saragusa was a guy who played at the NFL level. Yep. Um, so, so I mean, there, there's some guys. Sean Oakman, baby. There's some, there's some guys, some talent. Yeah, we Sean, want to talk about Sean, Sean Oakman. Sean Oakman. Yes, um, there, there's your defense. So Sean Oakman. Maybe it, that team will avoid some rape allegations. Hopefully. Oh boy. Uh, so Sean Oakman is a absolute physical specimen. Uh, it's listed at six nine two eighty. That might be short and light from what I, I think he really is. Uh, just chiseled action figure. Just doesn't even look like a, an actual human being. Hasn't really translated to a ton on the football field. Well, he's been in prison. Should, should we make some Sean Oakman memes? Yeah. So <laughs> so even before prison, though, he's, he's one of those guys that looked a lot more impressive than he played. Um, but still some high-end talent there. And, and then the whole, you know, prison thing. You know, I, I think a guy like that, I think if he can stay out of trouble and get a nice 12, 15 sacks, he could be someone making a quick move to the NFL from there. Certainly. Yeah, I definitely think so. And then the other side there, uh, so Devin Taylor out of South Carolina, another 6'8 defensive lineman. So they're, they're pretty stout up front uh, from a size standpoint. And could be, I think they're another team that's really projected to do well. I think a lot of that's based on you know Josh Johnson. That style of quarterback play in this league is, is probably going to do really well. And they have a pretty good uh, coaching staff if you scroll up there. Yep. Um, Winston Moss is a guy who's just never really gotten his opportunity, yep. despite the fact that the Rooney rule's been in place. Um, and then Norm Chow, former USC offense coordinator, Tennessee Titans offense coordinator, Pepper, UCLA Pepper offense Johnson. coordinator, um, Pepper Johnson defense coordinator there. So yeah, so some coaching talent for that team too as well. And uh, I, like you said, like you heard me say, I think the coaches are going to have a lot to say. Sure. Yeah, you know, I I think if he can perform well, it'll uh, it, you know, he can give some um, NFL GM something to really look at going forward. Awesome. So I think that's about all we have today. Uh, we're going to wrap up and, and stop in the XFL. Uh, I would say next week we'll get into a little bit of an XFL recap, probably start venturing into to hockey and obviously the basketball trade deadline. Uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit of basketball on, on the pod as well. So uh, that's it. If you're going to be out at uh, – well, we're still a couple weeks away from our tailgate. A couple so. weeks away, but, yeah, we're going to have a tailgate for the first XFL home game for the – Bay Vipers yep. at Raymond James. Come find us. We'll have a flag with uh, the Sports Memory logo. Um, if you're watching from home, we'll have a banner uh, in just, front of our seats. Just look for Green White Goodman. You, you, you'll be you'll be able to see us. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks guys for listening, uh, and uh, we'll be back next week. Go Vipers.